Orzetti, he has like a near down the slot, but he shoots it. Saved by Hartman. Nut score! Orzetti! He'll take a leap on the glass, and it's 2 nothing here. So the hype is almost over. The talk, all the media, the coverage, the hoopla. Finally, on Sunday, the Ravens and 49ers are going to play the Super Bowl. <laughs> I thought you were talking about our return. Oh. The hype surrounding that. Wait, so we missed the Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, Your shitty organs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, Welcome to the Sportscasters. Oops, sorry for swearing two seconds into the show. That's all right. We're going to call this Season 3, Episode 9, and it's April 24th, 2013, which is a pretty sizable gap between when we did Season 3, Episode 8, thanks to my uncooperative stomach, which decided to uh, fail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, it failed to the point that uh, I had a bowel surgery, which was... About as fun as a New Jersey Devils game. <laughs> and um, But I'm back. I'm feeling better. And the Sportscasters is back. and It's figured out now, right? I mean, they, they think they got it all down. Yeah, but they said that before. So I'm just going to you know enjoy each day as it comes. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, right now I'm feeling good. And I'm glad to be doing this show with you. Uh, you know, we should probably reintroduce ourselves. I'm... Um, uh, one of the hosts, Steve Bennett, you're the other host, Don Russ. Yes. Uh, and um, we've always been bad at that part of it for some reason. We hate talking about ourselves. introducing ourselves. Right. Uh, but it's been a while, and we're really excited to be back. And I don't know if it's something that we've done. Um, I don't know if it's I – think, I think we can say that we both have great parents who raised us right. And, sure. And I think that in doing this in the last couple of years – We've treated people pretty well, maybe with the exception of that one time we got in trouble on the Football Nation show with the ESPN guy. Oh, yes. But other than that, it's I think we've treated people really well, and it, there's a lot of people who are excited that we're back and that are willing to help us get this back to at least the point where we were when we ended, if not further than that. And... um some people we got to thank right off the bat are Ed Sherman, uh, Richard Deitch. Um, did he pick on us about uh, Lee Jenkins? Oh, of course he did. Did he? Yeah. Okay, good. So we have that to look forward to. Uh, Dave Damashek, uh, all the people who have supported us and who have said, you know, don't let this stop you from, from, from being back. You know, get back, get healthy, and do shows again because – Someone out there sees something in the work we do, and we're going to keep uh, keep doing the uh, work as, as best as we can. And we're looking forward to what will be certainly a really great first month of shows because when you have a lot of time in the hospital, you have time to kind of network and to talk to people and, and to book stuff. And another person I have to thank right off the bat is Zach Rosenfield, also known as Zachy Score or Sooner Zach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Someone who's been a big part of this program for a long time and has helped us uh, secure a guest for next week. And we'll, we'll talk more about next week at the end. But uh, today 
Uh, I should mention you can still find us on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com slash the sportscasters. And you can find us on Twitter. We're at sports underscore casters. And you can email us, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And our website is www.sports-casters.com. Now, this is what we like to call the sportscasters proper. And before I was sick, we were doing, I think, a fine job at www.footballnation. That's right. Uh, on our football podcast. And there's still some uh, some T's to be crossed and some I's to be dotted, but uh, I'm pretty sure that that show is going to reemerge in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to look forward to if you are a Sportscasters fan. If you're not, you probably aren't listening right now anyway. <laughs> yeah, and if you're new to this, like like you said, this is the uh, Sportscasters proper. It's more general, uh, all over the board topics. Football is a little more straight-laced. Uh, all football talk. Not yeah, that it's the all football, serious. But the Football Nation show it's, is about it's, football. Right. It's right. 100% football. So if you're here to hear about football, uh, this show will have some fantasy football when it comes to the regular season. But that's that's the show to really really check out. Football, uh, specific guests, all that type right. of thing. Right. And we still do football here. Sure. And uh, But we do like to cover uh, a bunch of sports. And for each sport, it seems like we kind of got our guys. Right. You know, like, you know, if we want to do a basketball interview like we wanted to do today, we got a couple guys that that jump right to mind right. to book and uh and 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 that's just going to grow as, as we grow. So, we're looking forward to it and one thing that we do every week to get things started is three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of 3. 1. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. So the first thing and the most important thing potentially in the sports world, depending on which sport you value most, is tomorrow is the NFL draft. Or today, depending on when you're listening. We're recording right, on right. Wednesday. You might not get to it till, till Thursday or maybe Friday or Saturday. But the NFL draft is this week. And I think the first thing that I think of when I think of this particular NFL draft is not sexy. No. No. And it's extra disappointing as myself, who is a Bills fan, and they're picking quasi-low. And they need a quarterback. And they need a lot of things that... For a not sexy draft, the uh, big it's, names are all offensive tackles. Yeah, and, and like it's that. not to say that these offensive tackles or defensive ends. I'm sure, they're phenomenal. I'm they sure they're they, they could project to be very very good players, but they're not and, Andrew Luck and Robert RG3. Griffin the third. Right. You know, it's not that kind of a draft, and um, I, these aren't the kind of players that when you're watching college football, you're necessarily focused on. No. You know, these aren't the kind of guys that bring you to a Texas A&M game. Yeah, I guess it, I guess if you're a Bills fan like myself or a fan of, I don't know, Jacksonville or the Eagles, you hope that 
the same thing that happened with Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick. They probably weren't anybody's sexy draft picks either. And they're uh, the new hotness in the NFL. So that, that's what I got my fingers crossed. It sounds like there's about 10 quarterbacks in this draft that could be the same guy, basically. But uh, hopefully there's a star or two in there, and my team picks one. Yeah, I mean, you might get a Nassib or a, a Geno Smith in the first round right. or a Barkley. Or you might wait and get a Landry Jones in the third round, and, and all those guys could end up being the same. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. As a Bills fan, if you got to make the pick, and let's just say it didn't matter who was picked before. They, they just said, you know what, Don, just go ahead. You, you've suffered enough. <laughs> pick the guy you want. Who, who, would, who would be the guy that would come off the board for you? Well, not being a draft expert by any means uh... – my, I need a quarterback first of all. So my dream would be, in my perfect scenario, there, there's two tests to drafting a quarterback that have been fairly tried and true, and that's the 26, 27, 60 test you maybe heard of. And the yep. Bill, Bill Parcells has a four rules. One is they must be a senior, they must be a three-year starter, they must have 23 wins, and they must be a graduate. Three guys fulfill both of those tests: Geno Smith, Matt Barkley, and Landry Jones. So. My hope is that the Bills can trade back with somebody, maybe get down a little bit further, get a little extra value out of their pick, and then they end up with one of those guys. I mean, Jones is probably projected to go it's a about bit a lower third rounder, than, right? Than most of the yeah. So first maybe two, so. so maybe for a Bills fan, you like to see maybe the wide receiver from Tennessee, something like that. Patterson, yeah. yeah, come off the board there, and then maybe you can get a Jones or something like that later. Yeah. Um, Saints draft in 15, uh, I'd be in the big Saints fan here, and a lot of uh, a lot of talk of Jarvis Jones being a potential pick for the Saints, and if I could sign up for that now, I would <laughs> sign up for that now and uh, probably do a backflip, because uh, linebacker is certainly a position that the Saints uh, could use, use quite a bit of help. So, yeah, I just, well, we were talking off there, I just don't know who... Who gets drafted and you're really excited? I mean, sure, Jarvis Jones, at least that's a that's an exciting position. Maybe Milner. Uh, yeah, I, I watch watching the national championship game, you know, he looked like an absolute just stud. Yeah. I couldn't understand every time Notre Dame threw the ball, it seemed to go in his direction and he made a play on it. And uh if I was in you know, if you presented the question I presented to you, that'd be the guy I would say, but I know that he's not gonna be there at fifteen. This might so. be of all the drafts I've watched the most, uh, the draft with the most players with hard to pronounce names. I, I didn't, I'm not sure. Luke Jokel, Jokel. And then there's a guy named Star. Someone Robert Woods. I, I don't. Was that how you? Is that how you that go? Woods. Is Mingo that, is a nice yeah. and easy last name, but his first name is Barkevius. Maybe I'm not sure. Sharif Floyd. Uh, I love the draft. I don't know why because I'm not a big college guy. I just like the uh, the grandiose display, I guess, of all of it and watching the guys in the green room that slip and their agents flip out. That's all kind of fun. If you're a GM of a team drafting around 20 and he's there, do you take Teo? Boy, I don't know. Um, and that To me, it's not even about the uh, Lanai, whatever her name was. Fake the fake girlfriend. Story. Right. It's about how running backs in the 
He just looked bad in the game that you want him to look really good. He, he was embarrassed terrible. in the national he was championship. Terrible game. in that, that game. They embarrassed him. That's but, a great offensive line, though. Too a great, great offense. But line. I mean, he missed tackles like one on one. He was getting beat by running backs that aren't nearly as touted as he was up to that point, and it's that's not a great sign. Uh, maybe someone gets a steal though because of it, because of the the stories and because of the the bad. The bad performance. Maybe somebody gets a steal out of him. I, I don't know. It, he'll, he's the most interesting name in the draft, I think, as far as where he ends up. And we'll let it digest. Uh, I don't think we'll do anything necessarily next week. We'll give it a week, and then we'll get one of. Uh, well, you know what? We're gonna have Dave Damashek on next week, so I'm sure we'll talk some draft with Dave next week. But sure. we'll get into uh, we'll get into it a little bit more. Um, once everyone can kind of digest it a little bit. It's, this is one of those things where everyone's going to have grades for these drafts yeah. on Monday. Yeah. But, you know, really, you need three years yeah. to, to know. Someone out there like a dead spin or somebody probably has done the legwork and will actually go back through like Mel Kuyper's post-draft grades and just say how wrong they were, how right they were. But how do you grade a draft of a guy that's never – Touched a practice field, even. Yeah, it's just something fun to do. Yeah, and and it's great when you see that someone like Mel Kiper or Mike Mayak says, uh, "Tom Brady, wow, you were uh, you get an A. Your team got an A. Like that makes <laughs> yeah, you feel sure. good. You know what I mean?" Sure. And last question about this before I move on to number two: What channel are you going to watch? This is something Deitch and I talk about later. But what channel are you going to watch? Boy, I don't remember which I watched last year. I think I I stuck to the NFL Network mostly because. Like you talked about our guys, our Rolodex or whatever. Mm-hmm. We had a few guys on there. Uh, who is their main man in the front by the stage? I'm drawing a blank. He's like there. Ian Rappaport? No, he's like. he's one of our guys and he's in the coverage. He was like there, Adam Schefter, NFL. Oh, guy. Lombardi. Michael Lombardi? Is it him? Because he's been on. Maybe, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. Got glasses? I, I'm drawing a blank here, but that was one of our guys. So. More of our guys were NFL Network guys than ESPN, so I guess I stayed loyal to that a little bit. All right, well, with three things today, we're all just kind of doing this. Don and I are doing the same three things and extending it a bit because they're bigger topics, but that's not always the case. Sometimes we'll have three separate things. Sure. So let's do number two. All right, the second one we got here is the NBA playoffs are underway, and uh, it's always weird to schedule the NBA playoffs. Some teams will be two games deep when other games haven't even started yet, but... uh, Look, I'm not an NBA fan. If you're new to this podcast, we will get NBA guests, though. So that's one thing you'll see is and our good guests ones. are phenomenal. We have right. good NBA guests. Right. Uh, so I won't try to pay lip service to the NBA and pretend I'm an expert, but we will get experts on that do know their stuff. So keep an eye on the guest list if you're an NBA guy because we don't ignore it either. No. Um, from everything I've heard about the playoffs, it looks like it's – a battle to see who's going to lose to the Heat in the finals. It sure does seem that way. And Lee Jenkins is one of those really good NBA guests that's going to be on as soon as we're done. Uh, well, a little bit later in the show, actually. Right. Our second guest today. And one question I asked him was, will the Heat play a Game 7? And the answer was no. Wow. You know, so this is just maybe one of those years maybe similar to one of the Bulls years or a couple of the Bulls years where there's just a team that's just better than everyone. I know the first NBA is kind of top heavy. Like in the NHL, we had an eight go to all the way last year. So an eight beating a one isn't a crazy, crazy occurrence, but in the NBA, it's a little bit more weird. 
But uh, I looked at the predictions on ESPN's website, and only one person even predicted the first series to go over five games, and that was J.A. Adonde probably just, I don't know, being diplomatic about it. But, yeah, it, it the first round, it doesn't look like it's going to give them any trouble, and uh, Lee doesn't think that any of them are, apparently. Yeah, so... But they're going, and and one thing I, you know, you mentioned the schedule in this first round is crazy. I mean, and the NBA I think is the only league I know of that will even start the second round while Before, first round yeah. games are still Bizarre. going on, and and that's really weird. But you know, I'm interested. Uh, the team I'm most interested in is the Clippers. Uh, I'm a big Oklahoma fan. Right, I love right. Blake Griffin. So and Chris Paul is really fun to watch. Uh, so I'm interested to see what they can do if they can be the team that maybe can knock off Oklahoma City and get to that finals and, and maybe challenge Miami. And that seems interesting to me. And also Golden State's really interesting to me because I think Stefan Curry is just one of the coolest NBA players in a long time. Just the size and someone coming from Davidson and basically emerging as a guy who just blew up in the NCAA tournament. and uh, He's just really cool and fun. So... You know, we'll see how that goes, and we'll talk to Lee about that in a bit. Real quick, like I said, sometimes we don't – not that we'll ignore basketball, especially during the playoffs, but sometimes we don't get to things, and I don't want to forget. Um, say the Heat do roll through the playoffs, win another their second championship. There's no reason to think they can't win more. They're not exactly old or anything yet. Do you – the Bulls were really, really likable. I, yes. Unless you were maybe the Knicks or the Rockets or somebody that was, but uh, I don't know that the Heat have that yet. Do you, do you think that they can get past the LeBron, uh, the decision and all that stuff? Uh, I think it will gets, they ever be the. Bulls? I think it fades a little bit each year. Yeah, and I think people are getting more and more fascinated with the idea of how good can LeBron be? Because I I mean, people like parody or they claim to anyway. But I, I think people like dynasties. I think it's a better story if Chicago wins six championships than it is if Houston wins one in the middle there. You know, like the more they dominate, the more they win, the less we're gonna think about the decision and the more we're gonna think about wow, how good is, is LeBron James? Right. How good is Dwayne Wade and how do they compare as a combo to Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan? Right. I mean they still gotta win their second one before they even get that discussion. But I mean, team wise, nobody's going to ever be Jordan probably, but team wise, I mean, they could go down as one of the, the best teams ever. Last thing for today, the NHL playoffs will be underway as we do the show next week. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to squeeze puck daddy in next week, but we'll get him on during playoffs for sure. Um, uh, and this is one thing that Don and I certainly are both very qualified to talk sure. about at a high yeah. level. And basically in the Eastern Conference at this point, the eight teams are essentially set with the outside chance that Winnipeg pulls off a miracle. But I think that yeah. it looks like Winnipeg's elimination number is one, right? One point um, two. Two. Gaining or losing two points. Yeah, they've between, only got one game right. left. The other team, right. So it looks like it's going to be the eight teams in there. Because they actually would have the tiebreaker over either Ottawa or the New York. But, yeah, it's it's two, and Ottawa's got three games left. The Rangers have two. So it's probably not going to happen. Looking at it, it's a very classic-looking playoffs, with the exception maybe of uh, New Jersey and Philadelphia not being there. Right. Toronto sneaks in. They haven't been in in a bit. The Islanders are new to the party. 
uh, which I think is yeah. great for a guy like John Tavares, who's so good and not enough people know totally about anonymous. Him. Yep. Yeah, so I think that that's going to be really cool for uh, a guy like John Tavares to hopefully get some games. Um, and if they if they play Washington, it's not out of the realm of possibility for um, the NBC Sports Network to get a Washington Islanders game on their on their station and get to see a Novechkin uh, Tavares game. I think that'd be a lot of fun. The four or five looks awesome right now. Montreal, Toronto. As a Sabres fan, it's nice to get that series out of the way right away because one of the teams can lose. But uh, uh, great. Anytime you got two Canadian teams playing in a series, the fans are the best. The with, Canadian fans are the best. With a couple games obviously left, Pittsburgh has blown this conference away essentially over the course of the season. Yeah, they're up at 11 points. You know, 11 points higher than the next. They've clinched uh, a home ice advantage throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. If. Pittsburgh doesn't represent the Eastern Conference in the Stanley Cup, Don. Who do you think it would be? Boy, it'd be hard to pick against, I guess, Washington right now. Just the way they've played as of late to get to where they were. They were sitting about where Buffalo was or is right now. Buffalo's in 11th. Washington was in around 10th, 11th place halfway through this really short season. And uh, they've been phenomenal lately. And Ovechkin looks like the best player in the world again or arguably the best player. So... For them, it's going to be about their goalie, I think, a little bit. But I guess you could argue the same thing about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's got the forwards. they got the goal scoring in across the board. And I'll say this. I think if Pittsburgh's going to lose, it's going to be in round one to the Rangers. Wow. That, that might sound crazy, but I just think that the Rangers are the kind of team they've underachieved all year. Yeah, They have top-end talent that can match Pittsburgh's top-end talent. Maybe not player for player. Right. But they do have guys like Rick Nash and, and Brad Richards. That And Brad Richards is a guy who's won a Conn Smythe trophy in this league, don't forget. I love Callahan. And they have a guy like Lundquist who right. can just steal it. But I think if Pittsburgh gets by them, they're going to get going, and they're not going to lose in the Eastern Conference. Um, out West, uh, Chicago is another team who's uh, kind of outpaced the field, not quite as much as... Uh, you know, Pittsburgh has. Even when Chicago was on that amazing run at the beginning of the season. They have season, six regulation losses yeah. all season long. Anaheim kept pace with them through that whole run. They were only a few points behind them. Now they've kind of tailed off. They've kind of slowed down toward the end of the season. Maybe they put it in neutral a little bit. But uh, Anaheim's a good team. I mean, the West seems stronger as a conference. Again the big year. story there could be Detroit missing the playoffs for the first time since, what, 1989-90? Right, they're currently sitting in ninth, but that's one point behind Columbus, and they do have a game in hand. Do have so a game in hand. I, I don't, I don't think they miss. I still think they get in. They've got a game in hand on Minnesota, also, who's hasn't been good down the stretch. Be nice. It'd be a nice story for Columbus to get in, especially after trading their captain, giving up Rick Nash, who just seemed like a real uh, volatile relationship down at, at the end of the, uh, his term there. And you know what? Doesn't Chicago Detroit just sound so much cooler as a first round matchup than Chicago and Columbus? Columbus? Sure. You know, I mean, maybe it'd be nice for Columbus to get in, but they got in once before and they were in for like, what, five seconds? Well, Columbus can jump up and still finish seventh. So, I mean, if they. If everything goes right for them, they could play Anaheim, which. I'm sure Sabres fans would love to see Minnesota out. Yes, after the big trade <laughs> yeah. for Pommonville, so right? So that would no one would uh, cry for for them. But I think the NHL's got a nice playoffs, and and I'm going to say this right now: Gary Bettman would walk 
to Rome in exchange for a Pittsburgh-Chicago final. Sure. There is not another combination you can throw at me that would match markets, star power, intrigue. I mean, those two teams have 17 regulation losses between them all year. Sure. You got Crosby versus Taves. You got Malkin versus Kane. You got a Ginla. Do you think think he secretly hopes that the Canadian teams fall out of it every year? Oh, absolutely he does. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely he does. Because I was thinking the only other... The other matchup I can think would be close is if your first round upset is correct, and then you got Rangers Chicago maybe, because then you've got the two biggest markets other than LA. But LA just doesn't feel like a hockey market. I know they got behind it when they went on the run, but yeah. But if they could ever get Pittsburgh Chicago. and Chicago, you uh, Gary Batman would be doing a backflip down yeah. Broadway. I mean, it that would just be best case. It's the best case scenario, and and I I, I can't think of a second best one. That's close. I mean, I could think of a second best one, obviously, but definitely it's, it's not, not out close. west. Definitely not out west. Not. I mean, there's no other team out west that. What's what's close. because Detroit, Detroit, yeah, yeah. And that's probably this isn't probably the year you really want them, right? You know, so interesting, and we'll know more in terms of matchups, and we'll really be able to get into this uh, more more next week. Best so. playoffs in the world, though, if you're. If you're a casual hockey fan and maybe don't love the regular season as it's kind of a grind and maybe some of the games are a little bit boring or whatever, the intensity of the NHL playoffs is unmatched in any sport. So check it out. Uh, I think it starts, what, next week? Yeah, we'll be definitely uh, have the matchups and we'll, we'll talk more about it next week. All right. Normally, I would be saying right now that we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And I know I can speak for Don here. We wanted Dave Damashek to be the first guest on our first show back. Yes. But Dave has commitments with the NFL Draft and the NFL Network in New York, and we didn't want to rush it. So Dave is going to be on the show next week. And it isn't very hard to say who our second choice would be, and that's nothing against our second choice because <laughs> he's someone we love having on the show very, very much. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to have Richard Deitch on the program we're going to update our book club, which is something we're going to have to talk about. Then we're going to have Lee Jenkins. Instead of doing a NFL mock draft, we're going to do a real quick fantasy football mock draft, kind of version 1.0. Yeah, we we'll probably do those like once a month or so between now sure. and fantasy season. And then we're going to end with something really, really special uh, to me and to Don, and that's an interview with my brother Anthony and his teammate Kenny Agostino who are members of the NCAA National Championship Yale Bulldog hockey team. And uh, then we're going to end the show a little bit differently than we have in the past, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. So let's take a break and come back with Richard Deitch. All right, our next guest covers sports media and occasionally women's college basketball for Sports Illustrated. He is a friend of the program. Welcome, Richard Deitch. What's up, Richard? You're learning regarding the not long introduction. This may actually be the best introduction you've ever given me. Quick, to the point, not an entire resume. Let's just let's let's get the guy's name out or the right. woman's name out. Let's give a quick little you know sentence and then let's get it on. So good job and welcome back. By the way, it's, uh, thank you. 
been many months since we've heard from the sportscasters. Yeah, I was going to ask you who you think is going to win the Super Bowl, but uh, apparently that has passed in the time that uh, I've, I've been out. because uh, I would have had the Jets, so I would have been wrong. I guess. Yeah. No, I would not have had the Jets. Uh, yeah, you know what? The Super Bowl kind of amazing. As we're talking on the eve of the draft here, the Super Bowl might as well feel like, like 15 years ago. Yeah, that was one of the most surreal experiences in my life because I literally watched the Super Bowl on a, I don't know, I'll say 17-inch color TV, probably made in 1986 with uh, an 83-year-old with dementia sit, uh, next to me. It was the two of us enjoying the game. I love them. That'll be, that'll be a nice chapter in your memoir a couple yeah. of years down the road. That'll yeah. be nice. It was a very surreal experience. So you did say the draft is tomorrow. And one thing that always kind of fascinates me about the draft is it's on two channels now. And I, I know your answer because I know you, but if I only asked you question, you know, the, the first question is which channel should we watch? I know what you're going to say, but no, well, don't you, first of all, you're not, you have no idea what I'm going to say because you're presuming already. Uh, so you absolutely have no idea what I'm going to say. Okay. Maybe I'm going to say don't watch either channel. Maybe I'm going to say watch the NBC Sports Network. That'd be that would be an interesting choice. That, so that, that, would, that, would, that, would, that would twist or flip the script. Right. Um, well, First of all, I think if you watch either channel, you're going to be fine. The production quality for both channels is really high. Uh, they're going to cover the same terrain. They're going to, you know, they're going to be reporters everywhere. They're going to be, you know, cameras in draft rooms across the country, etc. So the production end on both is very, very strong. I don't think you can go wrong with either in terms of the nuts and bolts. So it really comes down to, you know, what what people on set are you more interested in hearing from. And the reason why the NFL Network gets my nod on day one is, one, because of Mike Mayock, who I think is the singularly or the singular uh, best talent out of either team's uh, ESPN and the NFL Network. I just think, well, I think Hyper makes are good. Um, I think Mayock brings the draft sort of analysis to another level. And the second reason, and this is probably where you were initially going, is um, <laughs> if Chris Berman is hosting the draft, um, I would tend to go – with Rich Eisen, who I think is a better uh, person in a news event, which I consider this. I don't consider Eisen as um, big an enabler of the league as I do Berman at this point. I find Berman to be, you know, I, as much working for the NFL as he is working for ESPN, to, to be quite blunt. Um, but that doesn't mean that there are, you know, going to be thousands and millions of people who like Chris Berman on the, on the draft, and, and they'll choose ESPN. So first day for me, I tend to favor the NFL Network. Then after that, I go back and forth. And if I had to stick with ESPN for the final two days, I'd be fine because Trey Wingo then comes on for day two, um, and I think he's a fantastic host. I really like Kuyper and McShay together on the same set. I think Trent Dilfer is going to be really good on ESPN. So I think you, I, my sense is that you'll probably find me on day two and three, very even between the NFL Network and ESPN. If I had to choose, obviously, because I write about it, I'll be watching both. I want to stick with the draft, but I, want, I don't want to get too far away from Berman, but I did want to ask you if you had seen the profile on 60 Minute Sports on him and, and just what your thoughts were on it, because I, I, I found it very comical myself. I, I thought it was... I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I watched it, sort of, I have to be honest with you, I sort of watched it uh, after a certain point with a half eye because it was... It felt like it was scripted from, you know, uh, the ESPN PR department. That's not to say 60 Minutes did it. I just think, you know, I think that story is a, was a general interest story. I think sports fans um, who are really familiar with ESPN and familiar with Berman would probably have a different take. And so, you know, I give ESPN PR and ESPN management credit. They they were able to sort of put Chris in a certain light on a respected show, and, and that's a win for them. 
They sure did. It sure did come off like Chris Berman loves some Chris Berman, though. That, that was the one thing that I. I mean, are you are you surprised by that? No, I'm not surprised. I just didn't. I guess what I'm surprised by is is how how extreme that came through. You know what I mean? Well, like, right. I mean, I think that's a subjective thing, and maybe some you know some people might feel your way, some people might not. Right. But you got to remember, um, these are people uh, you know at that kind of level with Berman who are um, who have large egos because for the most part they've had their butt kissed for 20 something years um they're often not interviewed all the time so those kind of interviews sometimes can give you a little sort of sense into into ego and narcissism and listen i'm the first to say i have it myself and if 60 minutes cameras were on me you know who knows what i'd say and you might come off wow that guy's a jerk um so i think your point is well made and i think you know you when you're put in an interview like that as berman was it sort of reveals some stuff. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the draft because Chris Berman is, you know, whatever. Uh, right. I really um, enjoy, I, probably since the last time we've talked, uh, your Monday column is 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 new, I, I think, or maybe you had done just the first couple since then. And reading the column uh, this week, uh, one thing I think that football fans have complained the last few years about is, you know, the, the, the tipping of the picks with the, the, the pictures of the cell, you know, the guys on the cell phone. Okay, this guy's going to get picked and taking away some of the drama. And you did mention in your column uh, that both uh, networks have kind of made a gentleman's agreement not to do this. Right. So last year, the sort of the agreement between both networks was that they were going to, um, they decided not, they would have cameras in the green room, but they would not show players on the phone in the green room prior to them being selected because that really tips the, uh, that really sort of tips the viewer that, hey, if you see a draft pick on the phone, you know, two minutes before Goodell's about to go off, you put two and two together, you realize that the team just called that player. So that's going to be eliminated again. No <laughs> no tipping of um, picks for the people in the green room. What's new this year, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, hopefully I'm not getting a cold. And if I am, I'm blaming the sportscasters. <laughs> if, uh, it, what's new this year is that both um, – both entities uh, made a decision that they were going to tell their talent, um, their reporters, their on-air people, not to tweet pick by pick, which is what they did last year and received a lot of criticism from those viewers who also follow the draft coverage on Twitter. So you're not going to see Adam Schefter tipping picks one, two, three, four, five. He may still report that Manti Teo is going somewhere who's a big name in the draft or Geno Smith. But for the most part, through the middle of round two, perhaps in the end of round two, the people who work for the NFL Network and ESPN are not going to be tweeting picks ahead of time. What do you think about the format? I mean, this is second or third year with having just the first round on on Thursday, and then you know, then we got Friday, and and then it drags into Saturday. Which I mean, only the hardcore fans probably are still sticking around for Saturday, but there's right. plenty, plenty of those in the United States, hardcore football fans. But what do you think of the way it is now to the way? it had been before this where it was, uh, you know, just a Saturday, Sunday type of an event. I think, I mean, listen, I think for the NFL, it's really smart. I mean, they, the three day event and putting the draft in prime time is the reason why those numbers have gone really, really well up. Um, so I think for the NFL's sake, it's been really smart. I think as a television view, it's better. So I think it's sort of spread out over a couple of days where before it was just, it felt like just an endless, never ending thing. Um, and you're right. I think only the diehards, We'll be watching hardcore on Saturday, so I like it. I think the format is um, is better. Um, I think one day it'll be interesting to see if they take the draft on the road. I know the NFL's been considering that, like um, 
you know, do you maybe go to, uh, you know, you go to different cities right, like uh, as opposed to just injuries. keeping it in New York, which would be pretty interesting and sort of change the, the complexion and the shape of the draft. So I like the format. I have, um, I think television wise, it's, it seems to be more easy to deal with for the average fan than in years past where it just seemed like, a, you know, it just seemed like it went on forever. And, you know, I, I, I doubt we would disagree on this, but the NFL just has a knack for making just about anything they do a, a, an event. You know what I mean? They know how to turn right. just releasing the schedule into some three-hour program on the NFL Network. You know, well, you know, I mean, the NFL is an incredible PR machine. Um, we see that with the draft. And, you know, keep in mind, they have two pretty big networks here that are pushing this content essentially for, them for the last three months. So there's a big buildup. Um, there's an uber amount of promotion, and that's the reason why you know you're seeing the first round of the draft get 8.1 million combined viewers, and there's a reason why three million people over the course of three days watch the ESPN draft. I mean, that's you know for a non-game, those are gigantic numbers, um, and the NFL is not dumb. They know that this is a absolutely just free publicity for their league. Um, you know, it's an introduction. Not only is the college sort of free publicity, but this is a big introduction for all these players uh to the fan base so the nfl has certainly done a really good job in promoting this and they've been aided by their you know broadcast partners who you know essentially i would think since the super bowl ended have been pushing draft draft um have been pushing draft stuff now we know you love wingo we know you like mayak is there kind of this is a goofy question but is there like a sleeper analyst on either network that when you're watching, you, you feel like this guy's making great points. This is a guy that if your team is making a pick, you really want to hear what he has to say because he tends to tends to nail it to some degree. Well, obviously, Mayock is that person first and foremost, but right. I think people know that already. Yeah. So sort of eliminate him. Um, I really like Bill Polling. I was really impressed by him last year um, because when he spoke, he was really, really interesting, and he would give you some interesting insight into what teams were thinking um, and how uh, the draft was sort of uh, was continuing. I, you know, I think Trent Dilfer is going to be pretty good. I think that's a guy who um, who understands football, who's really smart. Uh, I, I would, you know, I w- I'd be interested to to hear him. But in general, for me, the draft is about McShay, Kyber, and Mayock. That's what the draft is about for me because those are the people who I believe have m- watched the most tape um, and have a real sense of the players, especially as the draft heads forward. I always believed that like guys like Mike Lervin, Deion Sanders, uh, you know, <clears throat> Berman to a little bit of an extent that that's like, you know, they're sort of just showing up around one. And most of us, this is a little tougher year because the, the draft doesn't have as many sexy players as it did last year. Right. But the fact is most average fans, especially last year could sit on set and tell you a lot about RG three and Andrew Luck. It's not, you know, I mean, we've seen these guys all the time. The real talent to me is when it's a sixth round, a guy gets picked, and Mike Mayock, Mel Kuyper, or Todd McShay can basically tell you some really, really interesting things about these people. That, to me, is what I like about the draft, and that always separates the guys who've done the work versus those who are just on set as entertainers. What did you? What do you think of Daniel Jeremiah? I know you mentioned him in your uh, I like him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good pick. I think he's going to be really good this year. I think that's a guy who... Uh, that's a young guy who I think we're going to be seeing more of, and I know the NFL Network's really high on him, so um, I'm looking forward to seeing him on the draft. I think I think he's got a bright future. Yeah, we like him too. He's he's he was on our show just when he was uh, kind of starting up, and uh, no, so so it's yeah, not really about him. his performance; it's about who comes on the sports guy. Yeah, well, we this is why it's, this is why you're in the the Lee, Lee Jenkins apology business. 
Right. Because no, no matter what happens, say if Lee Jenkins wrote a dinner menu, you would say that this is Shakespeare. Yeah, just because it's Lee. Absolutely. Uh, Ironically enough, Lee happens to be a really good writer, so he probably would write something good for a dinner menu. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, one last thing kind of about ESPN, and then I want to ask you a couple other things, and I'll let you go. Um, 30 for 30 and kind of the evolution of it, you know, it, it, initially it was this specific thing about celebrating the 30 years of ESPN with these 30 different films. And, right. you know, since they did a, I thought universally, I didn't see a bad word said about the uh, – yeah, Kansas no, it's State fantastic. One. You know, everyone loved that one. And Even the ones that weren't that great were still pretty good. Yeah, and and the Elway to, Mar- to Marino one last night. I, I watched most of it and, and kind of enjoyed it. What, what do you what do you think about what ESPN is doing for this? And am I going overboard and saying that thirty for thirty might be the best thing ESPN has ever done? Really? No, you're not going overboard. It might be. Um, you know, I have to think about this. I think pro- I would say maybe outside the lines, sort of its history, right? Um, maybe, but. 30 for 30 is right up there. And again, as I've always said when it comes to that place and other places, if you put professionals in charge of something, you're going to get something professional. And ESPN has a lot of good people working on 30 for 30. Uh, and, you know, we, we've, they've put the money into it. They've hired really good directors and producers and documentarians. And, this is, you know, they get a great product. This is what happens. So it's absolutely one of the best things they've done. The thing that I'm really excited about is, They've taken this 30 for 30 concept and they've moved it on to like some genres. Like coming in uh, July, we're going to see nine films from nine, nine, nine films right. about women from nine female filmmakers. I've seen two of them already. They're both excellent. One's about Pat Summit documentary. I heard that, that this is really smart programming. Um, my hope is that it gets viewership too because it deserves it. Um, so yeah, I have nothing but praise for ESPN's 30 for 30. I think. The project has lived up both journalistically and entertainment-wise to the highest standard. Um, and I think that's fantastic. And this is part of the reason why I think people get so frustrated when you see nonsense like first take and you see a lot of bloviators basically getting a lot of airtime in these fake debates. It's because 30 for 30 gives you an example of ESPN at its very best and what it really can do when it wants to be great, which is why it becomes frustrating when they play the low-rent card and you see some of the bogus stuff. The sportscasters are here with one of our favorites, Richard Deitch, uh, talking NFL draft and some other sports media things. Uh, obviously, last week we lost one of the great NFL announcers of all time, and Pat Summerall, having kind of a week to sit on it. Where do you think Pat fits in in terms of his legacy as uh, as a sports broadcaster? Well, I would say, you know, in terms of play by play and impact, he's pretty high i mean he's gonna you know he's probably in the top 10 for my lifetime uh mostly because of just the amount of huge games that he called and he's one half of the most famous broadcast partnership in the last 25 30 years with Madden and summerall so you know there are very few broadcasters who i think would have gotten the kind of attention for dying that pat Sum- pat summerall did you know from obituaries in the new york times and si to you know, features on ESPN, et cetera. And the reason is he just, he really impacted so much of sports from these huge NFL games to the Masters to the U.S. Open. His style was kind of minimal. He wasn't a screamer. He didn't talk a lot. It didn't have to be about him. And that's something that we're probably not going to see that much of in the future. So, uh, I mean, as impactful a broadcaster um, as we will see, and a lot of that also is because the universe has changed. It's not a three-channel universe anymore. It's a 500-channel universe and Summerall was a major, major voice when, you know, most of this country only had a couple channels. You know, uh, Major League Baseball is making a ton of money on, and specifically the teams, on these regional 
sports network contracts. And we talked about this before. And I pay a lot of money for my DirecTV cable bill. It's the most insane bill we have. We look at it every month and say, I can't believe we pay this much. And we have all these regional networks that Major League Baseball is collecting all this money from for the rights for them to broadcast the games. Yet we're not allowed to watch the games on those networks. Is there anything more insane in sports broadcasting than that? Well, you know, NFL NFL games are probably the you know the most valuable real estate um, that exists in this country. And, you know, they've been able to sort of geniusly sell that package to DirecTV uh, for those hardcores who um, who want that. You know, I find, and this is weird, and I don't know if, I don't really talk to people about being in the NFL about this, but maybe I should. Is I found myself watching a Red Zone channel, which I can get on my cable service, which I pay a little bit extra for, but not, you know, not like DirecTV dollars for. And I find that satisfies me. Um, enough where I don't have to buy or I don't have to watch every single game. Um, now maybe that makes, you know, again, if you were someone who is a fan of a team out of market and you want to watch that full game, that's not going to satisfy you. Right. But kind of as a My general situation. interest football fan, um, I got to be honest with you, I find that to be far more of a more, I don't know if the word is valuable, but sort of affordable and smarter proposition than getting, let's say like the direct TV. Right, especially for the fantasy football fan. I mean, yeah, but I understand that. Listen, you're 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 a let's say you. I know you're not, but let's say you were a um, Chiefs fan. Right. Well, I'm a Saints fan in Buffalo, so I mean the right, right. But you're a Chiefs fan, and you lived in Buffalo. The only basically your only option to see those games is to get Directv or I guess to subscribe to NFL.com, where you can sort of stream all the games or whatever. So you know, I do understand it. Like you're not seeing your team, you're not seeing every game of your team unless you play the ball that way. Right. But how come with baseball, I mean, I live in Buffalo, New York, right? So I can watch the Yankees on Yes, and I can watch right. the Mets on SNY, but I can't watch the Braves on uh, Fox Sports Southern or whatever that station is, or the Rockies on whatever their station is. And I know they're trying to protect the extra innings package. but That's it. I mean, you, just, you answered your own question. They're mm-hmm. trying to protect the extra innings package. Um, they want to protect the exclusivity of that. Um, and... You know, guys like John Oran will probably be a little more wired to me. I don't expect that to change. Yeah. Uh, not as long as not as long as if they think they're making um, profitability on extra innings, which I don't honestly know if they are or not. Um, we'll see those numbers. Uh, you know, because baseball is a weird sport when it comes to ratings. Um, regionally, locally, the ratings are really, really good, but nationally, games aren't that great until the World Series. Yeah. All right, two last quick things. One, uh, NBA, NHL playoffs, st- uh, NBA playoffs started already. NBA playoffs starting next week. One thing that drives me nuts about the NBA playoffs, I never know where to find them. Uh, there's just too many stations. I'm never sure what game is on what station. And that drives me nuts. Probably not much. They could, you know they got a lot of partners, so well, a lot of partners are going to get a piece of that. And maybe if I was a bigger NBA fan, I'd be more in tune with that. Um, obviously, the NHL is going to be on NBC, the NBC Sports Network. Um, anything specifically that's maybe different or new for the playoffs this year from a media standpoint, nerds like me who are into this kind of thing to look for um, in the next couple months with the leagues uh, in their playoffs? Well, I, to me, I would disagree with you on the NBA. I actually don't think it's that tough to follow. It's two networks for the most part, right? ESPN and TNT, and you essentially can figure there are games are on every night. There are some games on NBA TV, and but in ABC. general, that's a two that's a two two channel sort of 
flipping back and forth. Um, and the only thing really sort of new and under that end is just, you know, when you get the first round of the playoffs, you get a lot of different announcing teams that are not always uh, the traditional teams you're going to get every day. So who was I hearing the other day? Was Chris Weber? Was it Weber and Stockton? No, yeah, I think it was Weber and somebody else. But the, the point is, like, you're going to get a guy like Chris Weber, like sort of doing, let's say, like five or six games in a row as an analyst where during the year he may do one game and then he may pop into the studio, um, stuff like that. In terms of hockey, I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I I, uh, I haven't paid attention to the um, sort of playoff TV uh, situation yet just because we still have a number of games to go left in the regular season. But, um, uh, you know, the one thing that's for sure is you're definitely going to be able to get a ton of games on the NBC uh, sports network, and it seems like, and again, there's still, as we're taping, there's much to be uh, figured out. There's um, there's a lot of new teams in the playoffs this year, yeah. which I think could cause some interesting um, storylines. Uh, you know, I'm sure the league is hoping that the Rangers, uh, I think actually the Rangers and Islanders at this point are both in, so there's some New York markets there. Uh, then one thing that NBC is generally rooting for is, uh, you know, you want some marketable teams in the Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, so they you want can, Chicago and Pittsburgh. You know, say it again? Chicago and Pittsburgh is the absolute dream. Yeah, it would be so, awesome, oh, right? Yeah. Exactly. Those are two big markets, two American markets. You know, usually for NBC, you get killed if it's like Vancouver, you know, Vancouver versus uh, Boston. I mean, this is going to happen, Toronto or something like that. Right. Uh, that'd be huge in uh, Canada, but that would be a rough one for NBC. Yeah. Um, all right, last, uh, last thing I was going to ask you. Um, we talked about the, uh, the playoffs. We talked about the draft. Uh, what's kind of the next uh, big thing in, in sports media that we got to kind of keep an eye on? What's going to be happening here over the summer uh, that we need to keep our eyes on? Is there any contracts coming up? Is there going to be any big negotiations? Is there a, what, What's going on? What, what, what are you on your beat? What are you uh, kind of focusing in on here in the next uh, couple weeks to months? I'm focusing on the sportscasters. That's all I'm focusing on every single day starting now. Yeah, it's a big And return. your evolution back yeah. to the top of the podcast charts. Yeah, it's a big return. It is. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, you know, like, it's, it's, it's such a gigantic, big question. Uh, the NBA rights are coming up in 2015. I mean, that's going to be a ways away, but that to me is um, is kind of interesting uh, to sort of see how um, see how that shakes out. But I can't say that there's something like sitting out there at the moment that uh, you know I'm really going to be fascinated by. The Olympics are coming up, the Winter Olympics right, in Sochi, and I think that's always an interesting um, sort of media story to tell, especially with. Uh, NBC, uh, you know, in London getting pretty much crunched for live programming or not live programming. So I find that pretty interesting. But a lot of the rights deals have actually been locked up. Um, you know, college football is always of interest, you know, and ESPN sort of forming looks like this new SEC channel. We have the college football playoffs coming next year for the first time. So those are pretty, those are obvious stories I'll be uh, paying attention to. You know, I, there are some people who really, really love this whole like college rights and TV and sort of shooting around. I probably should do a little bit more of that, but I find it just at a certain point, it's just like um, it becomes mind-numbing. You know, mind-numbing the amount of sort of like sub-licenses and, you know, the Pac-12 has this game, Fox has this game, they're selling this game to ESPN. Um, television just absolutely just reshapes college, probably not for the better. Um, but that's just sort of, I'm a realist. It's sort of unfortunately in the world we live in now. Well, Richard Deitch is uh, taking over SportsIllustrated.com on Mondays uh, from Peter King. Slowly but surely. Wow, that's, a, that's, that's absolutely not true, <laughs> no, that's but it's not. a big statement for me, and I appreciate that. Uh, and you can read his column every Monday there. And uh, where else can we – you've been writing in the magazine a lot more. Writing in the magazine. Yeah. Got a piece on uh, – what do I have a piece on this week? 
I have an NFL draft piece this week in the magazine and uh, did a big Pat, uh, not Pat Summerall, did a big Vern Lundquist uh, feature a couple of weeks ago. That was a very enjoyable conversation. So you'll see me, uh, you'll see me in the mag, you'll see me uh, on the dot com, and you can always follow uh, and find me on Twitter, which uh, I'm always trying to push uh, what I think is interesting journalism, interesting editorial to people. So that's uh, that's where you can find me. And you can find me riding Lee Jenkins' coattails, as always. <laughs> Thanks uh, so much for being on this, uh, what is an important show to us. So thank you very much. You got it, man. Great to hear your voice again. Welcome back. Thanks, buddy. All right. Big thanks to Richard Deitch for being the first guest on the first show after our brief hiatus. Uh, Book club update. A couple things I wanted to... uh, to go over first, my dog doesn't like it when the UPS or Federal Express or Mailman or the guy who who are those people called? Do they spray the lawn with the stuff so the weeds don't grow? Funk, funk. He doesn't like them, uh, and often he will be barking and barking, and that is a signal that someone has sent the sportscasters a book, <laughs> and. Uh, I don't think this particular book is ever going to be the book club book of the month. But since they took the time to send it to us, I wanted to give it a quick plug. The book is called Battleship, a daring Harris, a teenage jockey, and America's horse. And it's by Dorothy Ours. So if you're into a biography of America's greatest grace horse, Man o' War, this is the book for you. There you go. So uh, thanks for sending it. And actually, if you're really into it and you really want it, you're more than welcome to email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I'll send it to you. There you go. So that's up for uh, grabs if you'd like. Before our hiatus, we were kind of featuring a book that we didn't get as into as I might have liked to because I actually read it when I was in the hospital. It was really cool. And it's called Wearing the Sea, Leadership Leadership Secrets of Hockey's Greatest Captains. And it's by Ross Bernstein. And it's an easy read. It's a short read. But it's got uh, blurbs from hundreds of people who wore the sea in the NHL and what it meant to them to wear the sea, specific experiences. Is Mike Pekka in there? Mike Pekka is in there. Sweet. So um, you'll have to check that out. Uh, actually, they're in alphabetical order, so I can find them real quick. Mike Pekka, accountability, being responsible for your own actions is what it's all about, whether you're on the ice or in the business world. True leaders don't need others to hold them accountable. They just do the right things and make the right choices. At the end of the day, you want to be somebody people look at and say, you know what, I want to be like that guy. And not for what he has or for what he's done, but for the type of person he is and how he lives his life with integrity. Nice. So, uh, that is definitely worth a look. Again, Wearing the Sea by Ross Bernstein. Okay, one last thing I wanted to mention for the book club. You might remember last year, around this time, we featured a book by a guy named Rob Mish called The Last Natural. And the book was about Bryce Harper and the season that he spent playing junior college in Nevada. Well, Rob is one of the nicer authors that we've dealt with just really treated us great. And the book has been released in 
paperback with a new name and a new cover and a new chapter. And the book is now called Phenom, The Making of Bryce Harper, still by Rob Mish. Um, Again, that's an updated version of the book. It's available now, bookstores anywhere, and of course all the digital uh, versions. And you can follow Rob for more information about the book um, at Rob, M-I-E-C-H. Rob, for some reason, is in Singapore right now. And when he gets back, we will have him on to talk Bryce Harper, talk about the book, uh, why the decision to change the title, which is kind of interesting to me, um, probably because having Bryce Harper in the title is more likely to sell a book than having Fino. the last natural in the title, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, but that will be interesting, and I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that book one more time because Rob was just such a great guy to us. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with the guy who has appeared on more episodes of The Sportscaster than anyone but Don and myself, Lee Jenkins. Our next guest is from San Diego, California, and covers the NBA for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. He is making his 13th appearance on the Sportscasters, and I don't know that we would maybe even be a podcast without him. A warm Sportscasters welcome to our good friend, Lee Jenkins. How are you doing today, Lee? Great, Pete. How are you? Doing very good. Uh, really excited to be doing the show again. Obviously, it's been a while, and it's not a bad time to come back. You know, it can get a little uh, get a little stale in the sports world there. Post Super Bowl, pre NBA, NFL playoffs, Major League Baseball starting. It's like all kinds of great stuff going on. And I know the NBA playoffs is is the reason we're having you on today, and the reason why you're having such a, a, a busy day and week and month or two. I'm sure. Um, I guess I kind of want to start with with this question, and I know it's it was based on revenue. The change, I, I know. But did the NBA make a mistake when they changed this first round from a best of five to a best of seven? Um, well, the playoff drag. I mean, last year, it was a quicker playoff because of the lockout. They condensed everything. Um, you know, now it's a seven-game series. To be honest, I still I, I kind of like the seven-game series as far as, um, you know, I think you see fewer blokes. Like in the NBA, you don't see, you know, the upsets are great. You know, the NCAA tournament is great for that. But the fact is, you have teams that probably aren't better than another team advancing all the time. And so when you have the seven-game series, usually um, the best is borne out. But, you know, if, if somebody feels like the NBA playoffs go on forever, they certainly do. And part of that, um, the league, is, you know, part of that, the league needs, I think, to address is just how many days off somebody can have between games. You know, it's basically two weeks per series. Uh, that's been off a long time. Yeah, and the first round always seems to be the one where you you almost can't predict when the games are going to be in terms of from one to two to three. It seems like there can be three days off, and I know some of that has to do with arenas, and and they want certain games on Sundays so they're on ABC and, and all of that kind of a kind of a it's thing. TV. But they do it for TV. Yeah, yeah, but it, you know. Yeah, if I, 
as we get deeper, it seems like there's a little less of, of that because, you know, it's like they want games every day. It's, you know, it's four series. Let's well, play. get deeper in the series. It's every other day. Um, yeah. But, no, it's different. I mean, this is when the NBA, you know, the people complain that the regular season is too long and it drags, so they try to, you know, they try to get as much they, as they can, as much um, bang for their buck or whatever out of, the, out of the postseason. Um, you know, I don't blame them for that, but you're right that, you know, all those days in between games, um, it can be, you know, it can definitely drag. I mean, I think the one thing I'll say, though, is you get to see really good basketball. I mean, a lot of these veteran players, you, know, you see a guy in a second night in the back-to-back, you know, you're not really seeing him in his best. So when you get a couple days between games, um, you're getting to see these guys at a pretty high level. You know, uh, someone once said, I'm not sure who it was, that, you know, these series, you can't call them over until someone lo- until someone loses a home game. So, I mean, there's a couple series that are 2-0 now already. Um, but is there still a team that might be down 2-0? They might be down 1-0. It might be 1-1 in the case of Denver Golden State. But is there a team that's a lower seed that – and let's leave the 4-5s out of it just for right now, but in the in the other ones that could pull off an upset realistically? You know, I don't think so. No. I mean, I'm just thinking about it. I mean, if you said that, even including the four or five, and I know people say that the series is going to start till a team wins, wins a road game, um, but history doesn't really bear that out. If you go up 2-0, the odds are, are stacked in your side that you're going to advance. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the, the candidates for upset this year, um, you know, the Denver Golden State Series is definitely one that could have been an upset, and it's 1-1. You know, the 4-5 with New Jersey in the fold, it's 1-1. One, one. Um, I don't see the Pacers talk being upset, for instance. Neither of the 7-2s are an upset um, possibility, neither of the 1-8. Um, so, no, I don't really um, I, I don't really think any of those teams that, that started on the road, that didn't have home court, and that already got behind, I don't really think any of them do have a chance. Okay, let's, let's look at this this way first. Let's start with the East, and let me ask you this question. Will Miami have to play a seven-game series between now and the NBA Finals? And that's with me making the assumption that we both agree Miami will be in the NBA Finals. So correct me if you don't think that's the case. No, I don't think they'll have to play a seven-game series. No. Um, I mean, they'll have home court advantage if they need it. Um, and they'll have that last game in Miami. Um, so look, that's what's possible. I mean, it's the first two rounds are essentially a bye. And they're not going to be threatened in this round. They probably won't be threatened in the next round. Maybe they drop a game total in those first two rounds, um, two max. But then, you know, you're going to have a, it's going to be an uncomfortable conference finals in different ways. They face the Knicks. They're going to have a team that will, you know, likely get hot for at least one game. You know, maybe shoot the lights out for three in a game. Carmelo will go off. But they'll get tested offensively by there by the Knicks offense. They'll get tested if they play the Pacers by the Pacers' defense. They'll rub them up. They'll beat them on the glass. Both of those series will probably be, you know, maybe six, maybe seven, um, potentially at the outside. But look, they're just so, you know, they're, they've always been great defensively. I mean, that never changed. They were great defensively from the day they were put together. I mean, even when they were a bad, you know, a very kind of scuffling team at the beginning, they played good defense. And with time, they become a great offensive team, too. I mean, they're so efficient. They always make the right decision. They, they share the ball. They're extremely selfless, especially for a super team. And they have the best player in the world. So, 
it's hard to see how somebody beats them um, unless you have a situation like Carmelo just goes, just plays out of his mind. And it's possible. We saw that happen with, with Dirk and Vipi in uh, 2011. He played like that for two months. Uh, they made every three they took for the two months. I mean, I'm overstating it, but they got very, very hot. Is that possible for the Knicks? Yeah, it's possible. It's also possible that the Pacers could really grind them down. You know, somebody maybe gets hurt. So I'm not going to like, you know, it's not beyond the, the realm of the possible that the Heat goes down before the finals, but it's certainly not not likely. Now, are the Knicks the, the, the only team you would think in the East that could make them sweat? I mean, no, the Pacers can make him sweat. Pacers, the Pacers yeah. can make him sweat. They did it a year ago. They right. definitely made him sweat a year ago. And, you know, the Pacers have, I mean, Paul George is a much, much better player than he was then. He's a guy who's emerging as a, as a franchise type player. So you have him and you have the best defense in the NBA. And that could frustrate the Heat. It could, you know, the Heat will mess around with teams. I mean, they win, but they go into a lot of fourth quarters and the game's tight. And so whenever that happens, the other team has a chance. And a guy like Carmelo could close that out a couple games or Paul George. And, um, and the Pacers could definitely do serious damage against the Heat on the glass. So both those teams can make it very, very uncomfortable for them. Uh, whether they can actually beat them, that's uh, harder to say. All right, let's look at the West. It's a little bit more wide open. Obviously, OKC number one, San Antonio number two. Um Let's put them aside for a sec. Let's say for some reason Oklahoma City or San Antonio didn't make the finals. That's because which team did? Oh, the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers, Clippers to me here, I actually think the Clippers to get into the finals. Um, it, I mean, the Clippers have only a few teams have one of these guys that you wouldn't really trust down the stretch with the ball in his hand. The Clippers clearly have one of those players. They have Chris Paul. Um, they were the best team in the NBA on January 1st. They had the best record. They were coming off a 17-game win streak. They kind of coasted from there, so they're a little under the radar. Um, but, you know, one thing to notice is by coasting and by relying on that big bench, they're very fresh. Chris Paul played 33 minutes a game this year. His career low. Okay, you're hard-pressed to find any star in the league, especially Oklahoma City, where they log heavy minutes, who played so little all season. So he is geared up for this. He's ready for it. Even though they're the Clippers, they don't have a, a long tradition, obviously. They do have a lot of veterans on that team. They have youth. The depth doesn't come into play as much. Their bench won't, you know, it won't matter as much as they would like. But it's a nice luxury for them to have. It's going to come down for them to Griffin and whether he can be kind of that second star for them, whether he can make late shots and alleviate that burden that Chris Paul carries. If you think he can, they can get to the finals. If you don't, they will stop at Oklahoma City. You know, we've talked about Blake Griffin a lot on this show, the two of us have, because I have a specific interest in him being a, a fan of Oklahoma athletics. And, you know, we've always talked about this quote that Charles Barkley said after his first All-Star Game appearance that, you know, Blake Griffin is really going to be a good a great player when he learns how to play basketball. How how close do you think he is to have learned how to play basketball, you know, as we kind of understand what Charles meant with that statement? I mean, he's closer. You know, people want him to... His career's kind of unfolded in reverse, right? He was famous first, and he wasn't really all that, you know, polished and basketball player when he was famous. So now he's kind of he's learning things. 
you know, a lot of his a lot of his numbers look stagnant. Uh, but he's also playing a lot less because they have that great bench. So if you take a deeper look inside his shot chart, that he's expanding his range a little bit. He's a better mid-range shooter, much better than he was. He's a better defender than he was. Um, he's not yet where people want him to be. I mean, I'm sure he's not where Chris Paul wants him to be. This is, this is a question that defines the Clippers right now is where is Blake Griffin going? Where is he going to go? How much better can he get? Um, and that's something Chris, I mean, Chris Paul will be a free agent July 1st. And that's a question, I think probably one of the last questions, is he wants answered and something that he wants to see accomplished in these playoffs. He's a, Blake Griffin's a really good player, but he's not, you know, he's not a star player yet. He's, he's not the sidekick that LeBron James has in ways, obviously. Right. You know, there was a really fascinating uh, cover on Sports Illustrated. I don't know if it was a national cover or a regional one, but it had this really great quote from Kevin Durant about being the second best player in high school, second best player in college, second best pick in the draft, you know, all these different things and, and how he's tired of that and how he wants to, you know, go from second to first. And where, where, where do you see Oklahoma City this year one game into the playoffs as compared to the team that they were one game into the playoffs last year where they made a finals run, obviously ignoring the obvious of not having their sixth man there anymore. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I wrote that story. It is a national cover this week. So, you know, I did that interview with Durant, and he um, takes you know, a lot of steps to not be the second-best player. I, you know, I don't know if he's going to get there now. I mean, it's really tough with LeBron. James, there's no shame in being second, but doing what he can to bridge that gap. And the reason Oklahoma City has been better this season, and they have, statistically, they're better in almost every category. They're a better offensive team, which is amazing considering Harden's the leading score. They take more free throws. Amazing because Harden makes so many free throws. But Durant has become a better playmaker. He's become a better rebounder. He doesn't take as many shots. He actually doesn't lead their team in shots. He's extremely efficient. He picks out the best shots to take. Uh, he's still second-leading scorer. So they are better, statistically. But there are still a lot of people in the NBA who say, that's fine. Let's see it in the playoffs without Harden. And, I, yeah, there's no doubt there's going to come a day when they miss James Harden. But that day has not arrived quite yet. You know, we all know to tune in to, uh, to the Heat game and watch James or the Oklahoma City game to watch um, – Durant, we know the stars, but give us a player or two in each conference uh, that the the average NBA fan should really sit down and watch because, man, this guy's got some game, and it kind of maybe sneaks up on us a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Paul George. He's one of those in Indiana. Yeah, definitely Steph Curry has shown. I mean, on the biggest stage, just going back to college, Steph Curry flourishes, whether it means it's Davidson. He did it at the Garden this year yeah. for the Warriors. He did it at He did it again last night. Denver. So, you know, I think he's an incredibly exciting player um, player to watch. And, I mean, look, a lot, of, pretty much every team has kind of a, a busty guy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I put Curry up there. Kenneth Freed, if you're watching out there, the guy plays with incredible effort and energy. He's an amazing rebounder, jumps off the screen. Um, so, there, you know, there are a lot of guys around the league. Joe Kinoa for the whole, the way he kind of anchors them with his, with his energy. And right now he's playing on one leg carrying them so yeah there are a bunch of names of that i could go on forever yeah um so we're looking at in your opinion a clippers and heat final 
Yeah, I'm not kind of going all in there. I mean, the Thunder is definitely the favorite. I, I do think the Clippers are kind of uh, are kind of sitting there. I mean, if you're going to pick an upset, I think the Clippers are a pretty good one to pick against against Oklahoma City. So it looks like you know Oklahoma City has home court, very hard to win there, and they play very well. It would just be if Chris Paul can kind of get into Russell Westbrook's head a little bit, win that matchup. All of a sudden, you have a uh, you have an interesting series. So. But in your opinion, it's the it's going to be really hard for anyone but the Miami Heat to win the the championship this year, correct? Yeah, he's so good. I mean, the way he's played all season, um, you know, I mean, they won twenty seven games in a row. They just they really know how to win. They they will let you get close, but they know how to close out. And they've won six in a row over the Thunder, dating back to Game Two of last year's Finals. Doesn't mean the Thunder can't do it. Three of those games that he won were six points or less. Uh, but that he have owned them ever since. Last thing, you wrote an uh, absolutely unbelievable article uh, when Kobe Bryant went down with his injury. And, you know, I, I I just wonder what you think the future holds for the Lakers and for Kobe and kind of where they go from here after what has kind yeah, of I mean, Kobe, been a disaster. Kobe wants to come back, right? He wants to come back by the opener. I, I don't know if that's realistic. It's such a severe injury. Um, but if anybody can do it, he can. His contract will be up after next season. He'll probably come back middle of next season, and then the Lakers will have to decide what to do with him. He's not going to go through that whole rehab to retire. So chances are he takes a shorter deal, you know, maybe a two-year deal or something, and ends his career in L.A. And they're going to have to try everything they got to re-sign Dwight Howard. That is priority one for the Lakers. So if they can re-sign him, they get Kobe back. A lot of contracts come off the top of the books after next season. Next season could be another struggle for them. But then Gasol comes off the books, World Peace, Blake, I mean, a lot of these deals, and they will have flexibility in that summer of 2014 uh, to go get their next big star probably on the perimeter. Lee Jenkins, thank you so much for being a part of what is a very special show for us here at the Sportscasters, and obviously... You're the only guy who's ever been on this show 13 times. We appreciate all 13 of the appearances, and we look forward to number 14. Thank you so much for fitting us in on a busy week. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it, man. So glad you're well. Thank you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right, huge thank you to Lee Jenkins for fitting us in in what is a very busy week for someone who covers the NBA, that's for sure. Yep. Especially someone who covers the NBA out of Los Angeles with the Clippers and the Lakers still in yeah, the NBA yeah. Finals. And he's doing uh, the Jim Rome television show this week on the CBS oh, Sports Network. So it's nice of uh, Jim to ask our permission to um, <laughs> borrow our guy, borrow our guests, you know. But uh, five on fantasy generally not something we spend a lot of time on in March. No, uh, we're not big fantasy baseball guys. It's I w- April though. I wish we were. Oh, it is April. Yeah. You're right. Well, you know, time to me. I, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, it's almost May. Yeah. Uh, but it, regardless, usually this is something that picks up more in the June-July right. range. But we thought about the idea of doing a first round, first top 10 uh, regular NFL right. mock draft. But who isn't doing that 
and and I don't know really we don't know who those guys are right <laughs> uh, to the point where we can distinctly say that this tackle fits better in this system than that right one thing we are qualified to do is take our first shot at the fantasy football round one mock draft and the way we like to do it is one to eleven uh, not because there's many eleven. Uh, Team leagues. Team leagues, right. but we like to look at that last pick in the first round as really making two picks. Sure. Uh, the last one in the in the first and, and the first and the second. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth with our picks, and then we'll see uh, if anything sticks out as different. We haven't shared them with each other, so as we uh, kind of announce this, we're um, going to be hearing each other's list for the first time. All right, I'll start with number one. Uh, if there's any doubt that this guy – is the number one pick. He disproved it last year when he was surrounded with nothing but question marks and just was phenomenal anyway. That's Adrian Peterson, and I'd be surprised if he's not number one on every mock draft you see this year. Yeah, that's as no-brainer as no-brainer gets. I mean, people are trying to be different if if he ends up somewhere else on a mock. My number two is Arian Foster. Last year's number one guy really gave no reason not to be really high this year. Same team, should be just as good, if not better, this year. So, Arian Foster, number two. I had Foster at two. It was close with my number three. But the thing I love about Foster is you know he's going to get the ball a lot. Yep. They feed him the ball, and they feed him the ball, and they especially feed him the ball when they get close to the the end zone. Uh, so, I think he's a guy that's a little safer than my number three. See, my number three... I usually tier things. Last year, I think there was maybe a tier of three guys. It was uh, maybe four. It was... Foster, Rice, and McCoy. Right. I, I, three. Right. I was thinking Peterson, but he was like a third round pick because of his health. But uh, my number three this year is Rice. But to me, I think there is a. I think Foster and Peterson are safer a little bit. I don't know why people are down on Rice this year. Maybe that's maybe reading the few mocks I read to kind of prepare for this. Maybe they're doubting him a little bit is making me unnecessarily doubt him. But he's my number three. And, uh, yeah, I like him just a little bit less than Foster and Peterson. I think I like Peterson the most, and then the next three guys I think I could go. If I didn't get one, I'd want four, and i want to take whoever was left of the next three. Hmm. Um, and my number three is Marshawn Lynch. Okay. Um, I, I just think he's a guy who's in a spot right now where he's with a coach who knows how to use him. He's in the prime of his career. And he's impossible to tackle. And uh, the, the the one thing I will say is if it's a PPR, I, I might have put him Lower. down a spot or two because he doesn't catch the ball At that all. much. Right. Yeah. So my Lynch is actually my number four. The one thing I actually like about him maybe a little bit more this year is the fact that he doesn't have to be the man there. Uh, Russell Wilson's there. They just picked up Percy Harvin. So maybe that hurts his touches a little bit, but... It, for a guy that plays the way he does and plays as rough as, and physical as he does, hopefully that'll mean you'll get a full 16 games out of him because he's not going to – and you should see less than eight guys in the box or whatever because they're not just focusing on him. Yeah, Rice is my number four, um, so just a slight difference there between us. Right. But like I said, not a big – I wouldn't laugh at anyone who took Rice over Lynch or vice versa. My Super number f- close. My number five uh, – Always a little bit worrisome about a sophomore slump, but I'm going to say the muscle hamster, Doug Hart or Hartman, Doug Martin. Hmm. Uh, 
especially in a PPR league, he does everything. He faded maybe a little bit down the stretch, and maybe there's some reason for concern there. But I think the next two guys on my list, there's probably some reason for concern. And really, you said you want to pick four. I'd be happy pick, picking one to seven in this draft. I have a, It's really running back heavy, which is funny compared to last year because last year it seemed like it was maybe quarterback, receiver heavy because there were so many questions around running backs. Well, a lot of those running backs – alleviated those questions last year and then you got guys like martin added to the mix so i think there's a lot of really talented running backs that are going to be off the board in the first round i'm still going with sean mccoy here at five i know he had some some concussion issues last year there's some question marks but there is a new coach coming in uh and a guy and the coach that's coming in is a guy who is usually has very exciting offenses and knows how to use running backs who are the size and stature and have the speed and the skill sets that Lashawn McCoy has. So I still think Lashawn McCoy um, could have a really, really great season, and he's still a top-five pick for me, at least at this point of the offseason. My number six is Jamal Charles. He, uh, like Peterson, came off a pretty nasty injury, and I'm going to have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure he played all 16 games. So any worry about him necessarily having a setback should be gone at this point. Uh, any injury would probably... And his injury was real early compared to Peterson's. His, his right, was his like was the almost, second week of the season. Right. Yeah. So, and I loved Jamal Charles that year when he got injured before this season. I loved him, so there's no reason I guess I should go back on that. If there's any worry about his team, his team was terrible last year, and he still managed to average over five yards a carry and caught 35 balls and... I, I like him a lot. I like his talent, and I think that team should be better, if anything, because really how much worse can they be? At six, if those five running backs that I've listed so far are gone, I think this is where I take Calvin Johnson. Uh, there's no reason to think he's anywhere near a drop-off. No. Uh, he's still the most dominant wide receiver in the NFL, and last year there was nothing else going on on that team, and that didn't stop him from having one of the statistically greatest seasons as a wide receiver. So he's a really, I think, safe pick. And when you're picking six and maybe the five guys you wanted most are off the board, safe is nice. So I I like Johnson there. Like I said, the last three, these three guys that I've mentioned, Doug Martin, Jamal Charles, and this next guy are kind of, they all have maybe a slight, issues but I, I still think they're fairly safe but I'd be happy with any of these three guys and this might be a bit of a homer pick but I I really like CJ Spiller and his the only thing stopping CJ Spiller is his own team he averaged six yards a carry last year right on the nose over uh, with 207 carries so it's not like it was some sort of crazy fluke he proved it throughout the year maybe with increased workload his numbers will drop a little bit but increased workload would be a good thing for fantasy owners he catches the ball a ton. Uh, just like you said earlier, they've got a new coach that's an offensive-minded coach that does some interesting things. And, and did some really great things with Reggie Bush when he was the Saints' offensive coordinator. And you right. could make some comparisons between the types of player that T.J. Spiller and Reggie Bush are. So there's some gamble to this because Spiller's never proven it. Like last year, he was the perfect – I mean, you probably picked him in the fourth or fifth round last year, but – he was the perfect number two running back. I really think he can make that jump this year. Uh, so he's my number seven. My number seven may be a homer pick for me, but I think that Drew Brees 
had a fantastic fantasy season last year, and he threw a ton of picks. And he threw those picks because Sean Payton wasn't there. And Sean Payton's back. And I think these two guys have a lot to prove and have a chip on their shoulder. And um, Drew Brees has been a great fantasy player since 2006, and I don't see that stopping this year. What number was that? Seven? So you should be at eight. My number eight is Calvin Johnson. Uh, I just don't love taking a wide receiver or quarterback here. If, if you asked me that last year, I'd probably tell you something totally different because of the seeming safety there. I still think he's as safe as it comes as far as a wide receiver goes, and he's just uncoverable. I mean, he makes catches in triple coverage. So if you're taking a receiver at any point and you want to have the best one every week, it's it's Megatron, and I don't think it's all that close. My number eight, last non-running back, uh, which means I only had three of 11 that weren't running backs. Uh, that's Aaron Rodgers. Breeze Rodgers, you can flip him either way. Um, this is a time of the first round where people try to get a little cute with the quarterbacks. And um, I probably personally, if I had the eighth pick, wouldn't take Rodgers, especially with the three running backs that I'm going to name that are on the board still. But it's a mock draft, and I, you know, this yeah. is where I think he would go. Yeah, in my draft, I actually still don't have McCoy picked. So uh, it's probably how I feel about it, too. I hate taking a quarterback that early, especially since I feel that there's like seven or eight really good running backs that if you don't have one, then you're you're behind right away. But anyway, my number nine is Aaron Rodgers. So he's one spot lower than yours. Uh, he's He gets a slight tick above breeze for me mostly because what he does with his legs breeze does zero with his legs right two rushing touchdowns a year maybe if yeah, yeah. and there'll be one yard run right it's not he's not gonna i mean uh how many total rushing yards did he have last year 15 well yeah. no he had five yards 15 attempts so oh, right. he's not exactly gonna run away he did score one though so i mean you maybe get a qb keeper here and there but uh that's the only thing that separates him really and maybe the interceptions but uh they're really, really close. And the interceptions will come down, I promise you that. Uh, my number nine is Jamal Charles. Um, uh, but, you know, y- y- you're probably not getting him at nine. He's probably going before that. Uh, but once I got through the five running backs, I was like, all right, well, who would be the you know, the other guy? I don't know. Charles. I love Charles. Great pick. You get him at nine, you'll be very happy. What do you think? We're talking about Breeze's picks. What do you think his average picks are as a Saint? He had 19 19 last year, year, right? Uh, I'd say he averages 13 interceptions a year as a Saint. Okay. How many years has he been with the Saints? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He averages 16. Hmm. So 19 actually isn't that high for him. He's had a 22 pick year. Um, Still, I I love it. His attempts are off the charts, though, too. Yes. That's a big reason. And he's pretty much a sure thing for 4,500 yards and that's low. Right. So, I mean, you're going to get monster yardage from him. Uh, and he, some leagues don't penalize very much for interceptions. For interceptions you right. might have a minus two interception league and you go ahead and throw 30. Right. And if you get yardage bonuses, he might, he might be the number one quarterback. He's my number two quarterback and he's my number 10 pick. So who's your 11? Um, Who are you going to package with? Are threes? we? Oh, cause we're doing two here. Yeah. All right. Here's where, Again, maybe this is a little bit too much reading mocks or whatever and letting it cloud my judgment, but I think if you want to go totally safe, which is weird to say about a sophomore running back, you might go Alfred Morris here. 
I like the attention that his quarterback is going to get every game that he's healthy. So Morris, people are going to have to be honest, at least with Morris. They can't do too much because then RG3 will run on you. Um, If you want to go upside here, I still haven't had McCoy drafted. So... Yeah, I had him if you, five. <laughs> if you go, if you go, Breeze or Morris, in or Breeze and McCoy, you're you're pretty well set. I don't know why I don't love McCoy. It might just be that I just don't think that team is any good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know well, there's a lot of questions. New coach. Yeah, I mean, who's going to play quarterback? Right. So tough city. Again, you can't go wrong with. It just feels like, and this will change when you get closer to the draft. Like there'll be more questions in some areas and less in others, but it just feels like the top eleven guys on my list are all studs. Like just sure things. Like you can't go wrong with any of these guys. But I'm sure a lot of people would maybe swap him with someone like Spiller. You know, if the draft went the way, if the first nine picks went the way they went. I might love my spot at 10 because I have C.J. Spiller at 10 and Doug Martin at 11. Yeah. And that could be... Might be some risk there, but that's super high upside. Might be some risk, but man, is there some upside with being at the end of the draft and being able to pick those two guys. Then you go wide receiver in round three and four, and you get the last of the good quarterbacks in round five. That You might be able to put a championship team together right there. Yeah, what's fun about this... if. I mean, God forbid, no injuries during the preseason of major players or whatever. What's fun about this is it doesn't feel like there's a bad spot to draft. And like you said, at 11 or 10 and 11, you could be getting two number one running backs there. It feels pretty awesome. A couple of the questions I came up with while just kind of glancing at this real early questions. uh, How did the Denver wide receivers play out? There's just two. Eric Decker, Marius Thomas, Wes yep. Welker. Yep, a lot of them. How do the Patriots wide receivers on the flip side of that? Is Danny Amendola a sure thing? I mean, they've and got nobody there. When does Gronk come back, and how does that right. how does that affect tight end position in general? A guy like Jimmy Graham might have huge value this year. Sure. Um, but now you've got those guys. Last year on the podcast, if you listen back, I would have told you the advantage you get from having Gronk or Graham was so huge over anybody else. And that probably would have been true, but they both were injured all year. Yep. Like at some point. Well, we had the exact same guys except for you had Morris and I had McCoy. Right. And at 11, I had McCoy in there. I wrote them both down. If you want right, to be right. safe, you go Morris. And right. I don't even know he's necessarily all that much safer, but uh, he played all 16 games. And the other thing, I think because there is so much talent, if these guys don't get hurt, this your fantasy football season is going to be won in the middle rounds. And it's going to be one because there's a few guys that are going to get underdrafted, and if you pick the right one that has a bounce-back year, you might win your league. Guys like Matt Forte would have been a first-round pick last year. He might not be a second-round pick even this year, but he's going to go somewhere in the second, third round, and if he has a bounce-back year, great. Darren McFadden, where does he get drafted? Right. He's Uh, tough every year. Darren Sproles had a relatively – had a really bad year for where you drafted him last year. Even if you were in a PPR league, he had a really bad year. Uh, but if he returns to form and Breeze and that whole situation is just better this year, which it should be. I don't see why it wouldn't be. And then you got Maurice Jones-Drew, who's a first-rounder every year, but probably won't. Where does he get drafted this and, year? And, you know, paying attention to training camp wins leagues. Every single league that I picked Alfred Morrison and I picked him in two or three. Those were my best teams. Right. And I only drafted him because I was paying attention to the things I was hearing coming out of there. 
And that was everyone was saying, "Oh, we never draft Washington because what was Shanahan? He just doesn't." And they had the other guy there yeah, too. Oh, now I don't they're know all going to split carries and da 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 da. Yeah. But pay attention because somebody's going to emerge in camp that is a fifth or sixth round pick at the running back position that's going to get a lot of carries. And if you can draft that guy, just like Arian Foster was the year he emerged, yeah. you know, or Alfred Morris last year. All right, we are going to take a break and come back and do something pretty special and interview two guys who can call themselves national champions. Our next guests are from Flanders, New Jersey, and Buffalo, New York, respectively, and are members of the 2012-2013 NCAA National Champions in Hockey. The sportscasters are proud to welcome Kenny Agostino and Anthony Day. What's up, guys? How you doing? Yo. Okay, so... What's going just, on, boys? Okay, so just so everyone can kind of get voices down here. Anthony, you say hi first. Hi. <laughs> okay, so that's Anthony. And now, Kenny, you say hi. Hey, guys. All right, so you guys sound completely different. <laughs> Not really. All right, so let's start with this. Um, obviously, an interesting year for the team in the sense that you get off to the good start. You go out west. You get the big wins in Colorado. Things are great. You come home for Christmas. Go back. And then Malcolm gets injured, the goalie. You guys lose five games in a row. And then he comes back. How did you guys get from the point of, I know from talking to Anthony during those five games, I can't speak for Kenny, things are pretty miserable. How do you get from the point where you were, say, after that fifth loss to kind of rebooting things and getting back to a point where you could make the run that you made, and either one of you can answer that. Well, you know, I think I think overall, I think our team did a. As, I, you know, I think it's a tribute first of all to how important Malcolm makes for our team. Um, that being said, you know, every team goes has their ups and flows during the season. So that that wasn't a fun month of hockey for anybody. I don't think. And uh, you know you have those times where it's just not very fun to come to the rink. But uh, overall, I think the guys we did a pretty good job trying to stay as positive as we could. But uh, obviously, I think I think it's pretty pretty obvious that when he came back and we went on that five game run, how important he is for our team. So you know a lot of that has to do with the mentality of the guys and, and the emotion of the guys, and, and that's something that the upper class did a pretty good job of trying to keep everyone happy and as light as possible. So you get you get through that, and then you you get to Atlantic City, and then seemingly everything kind of falls apart there. And there's no really reason to relive that. But I I think what I'd like to know kind of is what is it like to be on the bubble? Yeah, well, I'll take that one because uh, it was <laughs> it was pretty horrible. I used to watch you know the NCAA tournament and the think of those four teams watching TV, and that was us that Sunday at Buffalo Wild Wings watching Michigan Notre Dame. And uh, it, it, to be honest, it was horrible. I, I, just, I was a nervous wreck watching the game just because I knew that if once we got in, it's four wins and we're champions. I really had so much confidence in us that we can do that. So to have the fate not in your hands and to watch that game, it was uh, it was really tough to do. But um, thankfully, uh, Notre Dame beat Michigan and we got in. When you guys saw the draw initially, what kind of st- – 
stuck out? Like, what was it about when you first seen the four teams that you guys were going to go to Grand Rapids with? Was there any particular thing? Was there maybe personal relationships with players on other teams? Or was there the names of some of the teams? I know maybe Anthony, maybe for you, you know, seeing Niagara in the same thing, growing up so close to there. What was it about when you first saw the bracket that stuck out to you guys? Um, well, you know, for me, I don't think there was any personal attachment, but, uh, you know, from the standpoint of a hockey team, I think we all did a pretty good job of really not looking at it like any other game. I think a lot of, I think the media did a pretty good job of hyping the David and Goliath story up more than anything else, but, uh, from our standpoint, you know, we're, we're getting ready for, for Friday night game like we always do, and I think that showed, you know, come game time on Friday at 2 o'clock, uh, you know, we, 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 we didn't tailor our game any different to Minnesota at all, or or anything like that. But also on Saturday night, you know, I said our both nights played consistent Yale hockey, and uh, I think that's what made us so successful with that, that whole run. Anything else you want to add to that, Anthony? Yeah, I was just going to say, when we saw we were playing Minnesota and that potentially North Dakota was, you know, the, the lead A team, I mean, we already tested ourselves against WCHA teams earlier in the year. So it's not like we're going to see that league for the first time. You know, we're kind of confident to play against those kind of teams because you know, they really haven't seen us before, so we can kind of jump on them. So, I mean, we were definitely confident. We weren't a team that was just happy to be in the tournament. Um, you know, yeah, we got into the last possible time, but we weren't happy to be there. We wanted to, you know, do something with it. So, to be able to beat Minnesota so early in the tournament, Friday at, I don't know, 2 o'clock it was maybe, but to just get that win right away was great. Yeah, I mean, you guys were the last team into the tournament and the first team to win in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, Ken, this is one for you. So they dropped the puck, and I know I did hear you say that you had planned that regardless of what happened on the faceoff, you were going to pressure the D right away. What do you think happened um, in the in the corner there? Did he just whiff on it? Did you get a stick on his stick? Did he get caught in a puddle post Zamboni? What happened that this kid who's capable of playing Division One hockey at Minnesota? makes a play, you know, that Don, my co-host over here, probably could have made in the corner there. <laughs> yeah, no, like like you said, uh, we did discuss earlier, I mean, Andrew, about what was going to happen. It seemed earlier that game, whenever we lost the draw, that Wing did a great job of blocking me out. So I knew I was going to spin off on a lost draw there, and, and I did, so I got a good jump on him to start. And, uh, you know, I don't give myself any credit, but I, I was able to get a piece of his hands before he was able to make that pass, so I kind of handcuffed him a little bit. So you, so, did, uh, you did get a piece yeah, of him. Yeah, yeah I, I did get a piece of his top hand, which is, you know, something I think sort of an instinct that players will do, you know, last second little little cap on the wall. And uh, I think that's sort of why he fumbled that one. And, and then, yeah, then the rest is, you know, we're doing a great job getting open and I'm able to get it to him, and we'll play no deck on Saturday. You seen Root there, or were you just throwing it out in front, or were you passing specifically to Root? Yeah, you know, right when I, right when I was turning the net, I sort of saw him out of the corner of my eye, and, and just, you know, you get a sense of familiarity with your linemate, so I had a good idea where he was going to be, and then once I sort of saw a little more real quick where he was, I was able to put him in a good spot for him. Amazing how small that hole was that that puck got through to get between behind the net to Root, too, huh? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was... Uh, yeah, I don't want to say lucky, but uh, it, was, it was nice how it worked out. Yeah. So North Dakota the next day, you know, that was one of those games where it felt like you guys, 
outplayed him really the whole game, but you had a little bit of trouble breaking through initially. And Anthony, you made a play uh, to get the puck to Balsh to finally break through there. But before we get to that, going from second to third period, being down one nothing, what was the attitude in the locker room um, as far as you know? What are we going to do to break through? Suddenly, North Dakota has Dominic Hasek in that or something. Yeah, I guess just the first two periods of the game, I felt like we were playing with them at maybe a little bit better. And I mean, that no deck has unbelievable players. You know, they're going to get their two on one, get their chances, but we just have so much confidence in Malcolm to make the big saves when we needed them. And we knew that eventually we were going to, you know, get one, get two, get three. So when we got that goal late in the third there to tie it up, it was, felt like it was a lot of pressure off all our backs to finally get one. And then eventually we got four. I just, I just think that whole game, even after the second period, we were just so confident that we were going to get one and that they're, kind of the floodgates were going to open because we had a lot of pressure all game and Malcolm stopped their studs when he needed to. You know. So then that, that first goal was huge and then we just kind of rolled from there. Ken, I can picture you kind of uh, turning and shooting the puck into the open net and raising your arms up and kind of looking up. What were you thinking there when you when you got that empty net goal and you knew that you guys were headed to Pittsburgh? Uh, just, I think, a, a real sigh of relief. Uh, not only, you know, that I, I think we realized we man, but I was pretty tired on that shift, I'm not going to lie. So, uh, a little sigh of relief for a few different reasons and, um, you know, obviously overjoyed excitement. And uh, like Anthony said, perfectly, wasn't a minute during that game. I don't think anyone on that bench didn't feel like we were going to win. You know, since I've been here, we've been a team that, that's, uh, that's been cultured around scoring goals in bunches. So, uh, you know, we knew we were going to get our chances. To the, and like I said, Jeff was just tremendous all playoff run. Well, let's move on to Pittsburgh, which was the real fun. Um, obviously, the Frozen Four in a perfect place. And, you know, I, th- I think... I talked with Anthony a lot uh, over the year about how interesting it would be if if you guys got to Pittsburgh, a place where uh, you were obviously one of the prospects of the Penguins, and then before you get there, you get traded um, as part of the Jerome McGinley trade. How how did that kind of I don't know how did that how did that change your attitude towards going there, or, or how did it make you feel, or, or what what did that added kind of I don't know if I want to call it a distraction because I don't know if it was that, but what did that whole thing, how did that affect going to Pittsburgh for the Frozen Four and, and doing what you had to do there? Um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I guess you could say, you know, it is somewhat of a distraction, but, you know, I think I have to say, I think I did a pretty good job about handling the whole situation. You know, obviously the morning it happened, I was in Grand Rapids, and, uh, it was a weird couple hours when I woke up, but uh, you know I, I understood, and I think my teammates said also that that was important. That I put that in the back of my mind and focus on the game. And uh, yeah, no, like I, the guys did a great job, really, not making a big deal out of it. And, and we all understood what was at stake and you know how special of an opportunity we had. So, so yeah, it would have been a cool story that uh, that I was a prospect when I was there, but you know it was obviously still a pretty cool story of just how the past few weeks before that prior were. But you know once I got to Pittsburgh, obviously. There wasn't really any running away from from that question about talking about the trade and whatnot from the media, but uh, ultimately I think you know I, I handled it how I needed to, and I was doing from the back of my mind, focused on playing the good two hockey games, and uh, I think we did that. Yeah, and and the uh, Massachusetts Lowell game, I mean, you guys dominated that game for pretty much all of 14 seconds. You get the two goal lead in the first period, then in the second period they got the two real quick goals. 
and that could have been a really easy spot for a favorite to kind of take an underdog or as you guys like to call yourselves bulldogs not underdogs uh and and kind of pull ahead what what was it that allowed you guys to withstand those two goals and really just take it to him the rest of the way right through to the overtime winner yeah, when they got those two goals there, it was like, I don't know, 15 seconds or whatever it was. I remember I was on the bench. I was kind of smiling because I was just like, I mean, that's all they're going to get today. Like, I really just thought that they had their two chances and they buried on them. You know, that kind of stuff happens in hockey. But I remember I was just kind of smiling saying, all right, well, it's 2-2. Let's just, you know, do it all over again. And we just went right back to work and kept playing our game, doing what we needed to do. And then, uh, you know, the captain scored overtime. Yeah, and that that's something that we should bring up. So Andrew Miller, the captain, uh, you know, we can make an argument probably right now if we wanted to that he's the best player in, in Yale history in hockey. Um, but I noticed that all of the players on the team after the goal went and celebrated the goal while Anthony, you stayed and hugged the coach. Kenny, do you think that Anthony – you think Anthony was potentially trying to politic for like an A next year or something there, or maybe like an extra shift in, in the national? Like, what was going on there? Like, what's up with Anthony not celebrating with his teammates but with the coach? Yeah, you know, I think I think I was pretty messed up if you ask me. I think it was trying to get some power play time for the final game. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean Anthony, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to get a C next year. <laughs> Turn it around. Uh. <laughs> Uh, what really, what really happened when, when Miller scored? I just kind of raised my hand, like turned around, and then like coach was right there, and I don't know. We just hugged it out. I don't really know. I, was, I blacked out. I don't know. But uh, well, yeah, I, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I heard from a source that he felt like he was mauled by you. Really? Yes. Oh well. <laughs> Sorry, Keith. So. All right, so national championship game, Quinnipiac beat you three times in the regular season. The third game. I don't. I don't even think anyone, anyone won that game. That was one of the worst college hockey games I've ever watched. The third one, so I don't. You know, whatever. Uh, and one you played without Malcolm, uh, for sure. And wasn't the other one the day after Malcolm got hurt as well? So yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit misleading there, maybe. And do you think that maybe Quinnipiac had a little bit of false confidence based on those games going into it? Uh, I, I don't. I, I hate that whole beat them three times, can't beat them four times. Like, I just don't think that makes any sense. Really. But I just, I just don't think that you, you can, you know, hang your hat on that stat when you're playing the national championship game. I mean, it's not a regular season game in February. It's, I mean, it's the big stage. I just, I don't think that they even thought that either. I think that's just a whole hyped up thing that people just said and assumed that they couldn't beat us four times. Because when it comes down to it, you're playing one game to win it all. I don't think that they were in their whole tower rooms on Friday saying, oh, well, we're not going to win because we beat them three times already, you know, stuff like that. So I, I think that that's just kind of just, I don't know, hearsay or whatever. But, I mean, I, I assume we got their best game. I mean, it's the national title. So if uh, if our play on uh, that, that Saturday didn't show it, then I don't know what would. You know, there was about six minutes or well, maybe a little bit more than that when Jesse Root got the empty net goal. So that's a long time to still have to play with kind of the thought in the back of your mind that, wow, we're actually going to win the national championship here. What were those last six minutes like to play? Um, yeah, it was, you know, you could sense it. You know, I think, uh, you know, even when Andrew put in the third one, even though you got 11 miles to go or whatever, 
uh, that one you, you sort of felt it. But uh, I'm sure most guys would say what I'd say. You know, we're a team that's been that's been trained and sculpted to play 60 minutes. So uh, especially in the national championship game, I don't think you want to leave anything to chance. So I think if anything, those last six minutes are our best six minutes of the year. When you think about it, but uh, yeah, I mean, you just look at the game. I think from from start to finish, we were the better hockey team. And just to go off what Anthony you said earlier, I, I don't. I don't agree with any form of whatever asterisk people want to put on it. With uh, the Champions team four times, it's a national championship game, and, and not to make excuses for our other three losses against them. But we weren't our, our best hockey team on any of those nights, and I don't know if they were. But you know, not to you know, they won those games obviously, but uh, they were. Uh, yeah, no, they were they were a good hockey team, and, and you know we took care of business, and we're the one that has the trophy in our rank. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what about those last six minutes for you, Anth? What was going through your mind? I know. I know, Kenny. I know that uh, you have won a state championship in your past, and and probably some other things. But Anthony, he never won anything really, as far as I can remember. <laughs> well, loser. The kids got more uh, yeah, second uh, second place trophies than uh, I don't know someone who has a yeah, lot I'm, of second I'm such, place. A, I'm such a finalist. Yeah, yeah, finalist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, when Miller scored that one on the breakaway, I, I just look at the clock, and I think it was seven minutes or something. And I'm just like, holy, like we got. You know, just keep doing our thing, and then maybe around three minutes, two minutes, you can start to, you know, kind of get ready to jump the boards. But, um, but like Kenny said, we're a team that tries itself on our third period, our, our third period play all year. We've kind of crushed teams in the third just because of our conditioning and our summer workouts. But yeah, I, I just remember maybe ten seconds left in the game. My helmet was already off. I was already on the ice waiting, waiting to score Malcolm. But uh, it was definitely a unique thing to kind of almost have it. Or to have such a big lead with seven minutes to go is definitely unique, but I mean, I'll take it, right? <laughs> yeah, especially after Thursday, you know, because that game, you know, put me right into the first date at the uh, at the center there. So it's nice <laughs> to not have to go to first date after um, the game on Saturday. Uh, Kenny, so after the game and you guys get back, you have kind of a big decision to make. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into the decision and how you ultimately decided that coming back would be best for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, no, it was obviously a, a tough decision to make because it was something I, I sort of had in the back of my mind for the, for the past month as, as there were discussions going on between me, my family, my advisor, and uh, first Pittsburgh and then Calgary. But, uh, you know, ultimately I went home. Uh, after a couple of days at school, I went home for a night and uh, sat down with my family and you know, with my advisor and little. And you know, hopefully, what it came down to is, you know, I'm a year away from a Yale diploma. Uh, maybe if I'm a player at a different school, it might be a little different. But uh, you know, any you, you guys, any player here, um, you certainly value your education. And I think in this day and age, a diploma goes a long way, especially from a university like this. So uh, you know, and obviously, I love playing bulldog hockey. That's for sure. And, and it would have been a great opportunity to believe, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping and I, I think it'll be there next year. And, and you know, like, there's nothing better than playing your senior year out wearing a Bulldog uh, jersey. So. Do you think it might have been different had it been going to Wilkesbury as opposed to somewhere in British Columbia? Um, you know, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can look at it like that, you know, based on whatever organization you're in. I think. You know, I don't think you, you know, obviously I think I'm in a pretty good situation now with Calgary and where they're at as an organization. But uh, when you make a decision to go pro, you know what comes with pro hockey. You can't say, oh, I have a better chance of making it right away if I find with this organization rather than that one. You know, you got to know that, that part of being a pro is 
you know, dealing with playing minor league hockey or in the NHL, wherever it is. So that really didn't wait too much in my decision. You know, I think either organization would have been a great opportunity for me. But, uh, again, I kind of, I'm thrilled, obviously, to be back here and spend one more year with my teammates. So for both of you guys, what has life on campus been like as national champions as opposed to what it was like before that? Oh, well, I, I mean, a little bit changed. I mean, the first week or so we got back, uh, we really enjoyed it. We had a, a good uh, week or so there celebrating. But um, and then we're just kind of back to business. Now. I mean, yeah, we won it all. We get, you know, congratulations for everyone all day. But right now, it's, you're, we're a normal student here trying to grind out finals and, you know, finish up school. But the support we got was unbelievable. The alums, everyone, the students, it's been great. And, uh, but now, right now, it's kind of we're just normal students just trying to finish up our last week of school here and then go through finals. Yeah, because if you all flunk out, there won't be anyone, you know, to defend the title. You know, like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah, yeah. Hopefully yeah. they help us out a little bit. Yeah, they're going to need a little bit. I don't think, I don't think you'd, be, you'd be saying something like that. You might change a couple guys. You don't know how close some of those really are. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, there's some wood here, so I'll knock on it. But, um,. Uh, each of you, uh, number one moment of the season. What is, I mean, obviously mauling Malcolm as Anthony described it. Let's throw that out and let's look at it from a more personal standpoint. What, what sticks out is when you think back to this year is, is going to be most special to you on or off the ice. Um, I mean, uh, obviously on the ice, it's pretty hard to say anything, but winning the national championship, but, uh, Maybe to get more specific, um, I don't know, I guess right when Andrew hoisted that thing, uh, it was a pretty special feeling. And, you know, I guess for me to get personal, um, you know, when I held that trophy up to the fans, I knew exactly where my parents were and my dad especially. He's, uh, you know, he's my best friend. He's been with me throughout my whole hockey career. My mom too, obviously, but me and my dad show a little more, I think. And, uh, you know, looking at him holding that trophy and I saw tears in his eyes and that's something I'll never... I'll never, no one can ever take that away from me. That's something I'm not forever. So that was probably the most special moment I had this year. You're up, man. Yeah, I think I'm going to say the same thing as Ken. I mean, yeah, winning it was unbelievable, and that will be with us the rest of our lives. But to be able to raise the trophy and look at you, and I mean, Don was there, all the people that have been with me, you know, the whole way to celebrate that moment with everyone. Uh, that was something really special, and, uh, just all the support that we got there to see that section full um, was just really, really satisfying. Just knowing that all the work he did, you know, no one's looking in June, July, August, and uh, finally paid off in April. I mean, that's something I'll really never forget. I got a question. Have uh, you guys shaved yet? <laughs> yes. Oh, immediately. Okay. Immediately. <laughs> I got a haircut. We're all looking really good. Nice. Uh, which is huge. Yeah, I know. We all cut it off. Everything's gone. Um, now I look like a 17-year-old kid, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in Buffalo, it's easy for me to tell what kind of coverage uh, Anthony and Yell has gotten here, but I don't live in Flanders, wherever that is. I know Ned Flanders, but I don't know much about Flanders, New Jersey. How have they done as far as uh, giving you your due and, and covering the whole story of a kid from Flanders, New Jersey, winning a national championship, Ken? Uh, no, they've been great. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few, you know, major newspapers in Jersey that, uh, have done a great job supporting me and, and following me. And, 
you know, I, I think I've developed a relationship over the years with a couple of the reporters just from, you know, being on a high-profile, high-school hockey team. So we were obviously the team to cover. And, you know, with some of the extra things I had going on, I guess, with the draft and whatnot, I, I talked to them a few times over the years. So, uh, yeah, no, the Jersey's been great. The media down there has been great with, with supporting and, and getting this uh, unbelievable experience out there to, to the fans back home. But, uh, yeah, it's all it's all just surreal, you know, to, to think about. Uh, I think what I like, our one of our assistant coach, Red, told us that uh, it might take a week or so to really think, and I think we were all pretty numb for a while. But I think now is the time where we really start reflecting and, you know, when you when you talk to the to the older sports fans that are around campus and the people that have followed the hockey team for decades, uh, and hearing them the pure joy that they have watching us play and watching us play that show, it really sets in. So, so back home and at school, I can't say enough about this glory gone. Well, you know, we'll close with this, and I'll, I'll say this for both of you. You know, this is the first show we've done in a while, and the reason is because. From January 28th to May 4, March 14th, you know, I was in the hospital and I was really sick and I had to have surgery and there was nothing great about it. But the one thing that I knew at the end of every week was that I would be able to take my laptop out and watch the games and talk to Anthony about them after. And we always uh, would say things like, you know, you can't sweep the weekend unless you win Friday and then... You know, we talked a little bit about what Pittsburgh would be like, and we actually got there. And for someone like me who's coming back from something that wasn't easy, it certainly meant the world to me to be able to watch you guys and my baby brother accomplish what you did. So thanks a lot to both of you from me, and uh, thanks for doing this interview today. And um, let's do it again next year. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Donnie. Hey. And uh, see you guys soon, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks right. a lot, guys. It was great. All right. We got to thank Richard Deitch, Lee Jenkins, Anthony Day, and Kenny Agostino. For being on the show today and for everyone who stuck with us uh, while we were on hiatus, thanks to my uncooperative colon. (laughs) Um, One thing that we usually did to end the show that Don always hated because I I always killed him at it uh, is pick four. And he made a good point that in some way it's busy work and in another way probably nobody really cares who we think wins the Especially because combined, we weren't even like even if you're like some degenerate gambler out there, we weren't good enough to give out. We you were better than average, and I was around average, sometimes below average, but still like I didn't see the value in it. Maybe when it's football season, we'll get back into something that's somehow related to making a pick here. Or there. Yeah, I could see us just picking the games during the three things segment where we talk about football, though. So. Right? You know, and and in the. We, right now we'd be getting into pitchers of the week, that kind of thing. And, right. and it just it's not as fun as what we were doing to end the football show, which I think we both really liked. And that was a segment that we called uh, what, One More Thing, where each of us would just interject one more thing to end the podcast with. And the nice thing with this podcast is it doesn't have to be about football. So what we're going to do is uh, at the end of each show, we're each going to uh, – 
give one last, you know, 30 to 90 second opinion about something that's related to sports or maybe pop culture or something that's on our minds. And um, that should be a cool way to end it. And uh, don't forget, uh, let us know what you think about that. Email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter at sports underscore caster. Visit our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can find all of our old shows there. And you can also find our old Football Nation shows by going to www.footballnation.com and clicking on podcasts. Um, One other thing to mention today, next week's show is already booked. Jonah Carey from Grantland.com is going to be on to kind of talk about what's been going on in the Major League Baseball season so far. We're about one-eighth of the way into the Major <laughs> yep. League Baseball season. Not a short one. No. Uh, so Jonah, who's always a great guest, is going to join us to talk about that. Ed Cunningham, who uh, played in the National Football League, worked for ESPN, and is the producer of two of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Um, the uh, Fistful of Quarters, the King oh, of yeah. Kong uh, documentary, and the uh, Undefeated documentary which won the academy award for best documentary two years ago is going to be on the show next week as well so great great second show back really looking forward uh to talking to jonah and to ed and also to dave who is always fun so don why don't you uh give us one last thing all right one more thing for me on baseball this week which is probably going to be a rarity for me but uh if you're a stats nerd if you're a baseball historian nerd Check out Jason Stark's blog about Gene Segura's base running fiasco. Uh, I didn't see this play, but Brewer's shortstop Gene Segura, if I'm saying his name right, ended up on first base, stole second, and then the batter, Ryan Braun, behind him walked on to first. That's when things got silly. Uh, Segura went to steal third from second, jumped early before the pitcher released the ball. The pitcher caught him. All of a sudden, he's in a pickle. I guess baseball people know that if someone's in a pickle between second and third, you're on first base, run to second. Because then either you just cause a distraction, you'll at least have – if they get the guy in the pickle, you'll at least have moved up to second, whatever. Well, Ryan Braun and Segura both ended up on second base. The Cubs, the other team, tagged both players, and Segura – not knowing the rules, and I wouldn't have necessarily either, he would have been the one that was had a right to be on second. Well, he ran back toward his dugout. His first base coach stops him at first base where he was safe, technically, because he was on the base when they tagged him, and they didn't tag him again, so he went to first. The next batter up, he tries to steal second again and gets caught. Anyway, Jason Stark from ESPN has a cool blog, and he talks about all the weird questions you would have about this. Like, is it, is it even legal to go backwards? And apparently it's not legal to do it intentionally, but it is legal to do it if you're just confused, which it seemed like he was. Uh, they talk about how a computer would score that, which apparently is impossible because none of the software for baseball makes it possible to have a runner go backwards. So just a cool little article for me. Uh, usually these last things will probably be more opinionated for me, but this one was just kind of an... It's not not something important enough to talk about in three things, but just kind of a cool little funny base running error story. But check it out. Jason Stark, he goes into all the different details and all the rules about why this is legal and exactly what happened and thought it was kind of a neat story. Well, 
in January of 2010, I had surgery. And shortly after said surgery, Tracy Porter intercepted Peyton Manning and the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl in what was an athletic moment as a fan I was sure would never be topped. Uh, This past March, as we've mentioned a couple times, on the show I had surgery again and uh, much more serious surgery this time, much uh, longer recovery, much more difficult for me and for my family and for everyone who was involved. And shortly after... I was lucky enough to watch at the Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh with my friends and my family, uh, watch my brother win the national championship, something that I definitely will never forget. And when you go through something like what I went through, and I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, um, you think about the things that you're looking forward to getting back to when you get healthy. And there's not much... There's not much you can look forward to that's better than your one brother winning the national championship and your other brother getting ready to get married. Yeah, no kidding. So I really want to thank my brothers for helping me get through what was a really tough winter, and um, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting back to getting back to normal life here. So uh, thanks to everyone who supported me the last bunch of months.